Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. And this is the next installment on our addiction series. This one I'm really stoked to talk about. I mean, it's a heavy topic, obviously, with addiction, but it's important. And one of my good friends, Jessie Enander, is on here to share her experience with it. Jessie, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Good. Good. So good. Are you finally warmed up? She's in Houston, Texas. So she got hit. (laughs) Yes, I am finally warm. It's funny because, you know, it went from crazy freezing cold temperatures and today it's 80 degrees outside. Oh my gosh. Quick question. (laughs) Would you rather... Would you rather it be too hot or too cold? Oh, too cold for sure. You can always put more clothes on. Yeah. You can only take so much off before it's inappropriate. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it gets really hot down here in Texas in the summer and it's brutal. It's been really hard to adjust to that. What about the humidity? Like, are you a sweater? I'm a sweater and the humidity kills me. Yes. It's so embarrassing. (laughs) I'm always sweating here and like, like, don't even do your hair. Don't even do your makeup. It's just pointless. It's all just going to melt off. Yeah. A lot of respect for you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel bad even complaining. We live in a beautiful part of the country. I feel bad even complaining about it. I'll take the heat. It's fine. But it's sometimes well, it's really nice to have seasons. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I pushed you into that too. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways, okay, cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little bit of a background on you. Who's Jesse? Okay, cool. Um, so I am originally born and raised in Idaho. And so yeah, you know, you think I'd be okay with the cold and everything. <laughs> but um, I am 35. I have well, I have four kids. I have a blended family. So I have four kids. I have two biological daughters, two stepsons, and we just have this awesome family. I love my kids so much. They're starting to get into their teenage years now, and it's crazy here. But uh, we have moved all over the country. I lived in North Dakota. I was married once before and that took me to North Dakota. I got divorced and remarried. My husband is from North Dakota. We are in the disaster recovery world. So that means that we travel a lot. So my husband and I actually, we work for companies that do disaster recovery. So we moved to New Jersey, lived there for five years. And then about two years ago, we ended up in Houston, Texas, where we hope to stay for long-term, at least until our kids are graduated or they may kill us. Yeah. That's a lot of moving, especially across the country. Yeah. It's kind of like a military family, but we're not in the military. So (laughs) except for the whole military thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But we love it here in Texas and can't complain. Good. Do you mind sharing actually your story? Cause you have a really unique story. Yeah, I will. I'll just do like, yeah, I'll do a little as condensed version as I can. Okay, cool. Like, okay. You you're talking about my divorce story and every remarriage, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that is my story, I guess. But, um, so I was married for about nine years and 
we met in high school, you know, just the story that you always hear. And when we lived in North Dakota, my husband fell in love with someone else and we ended up getting divorced. And the someone else that he fell in love with, I was actually friends with. And before you like think, oh my gosh, like this is terrible. I mean, yes, it was terrible. It was, it was very terrible, but in all of that, they ended up getting married and I moved back home to Idaho at the time. Well, I kind of connected with her husband. So my ex-husband now is remarried to a woman and her name's Lindsay. She won't care if I share her name. We're friends now. It's fine. But Lindsay's ex-husband and I connected And it's kind of funny because I feel like this story is going to tie into that a little bit of how we connected, but we started talking about our divorce, you know, really leaning on each other. And about a year later, we fell in love and we got married. So (laughs) some people say, oh, it's a husband swap or wife swap or whatever. And we laugh at that and because essentially, sure it is, but there's so much more to it. And now we co-parent and we actually all move around the country doing similar jobs as well. So uh, it works for our family and it's kind of crazy and complicated, but also very simple. I mean, like if you take all the complexity out of it, of being married to, you know, each other's exes and all that can come with that, it's honestly so convenient and so nice for our kids. Yeah. That's exactly what came to mind is simplicity. Simple. So simple. They could yeah. have like four different families, you know, and now yeah. they just have two they go back and forth. It's so easy. We celebrate holidays together, birthdays, all of that. Like we are always trying to do what's best for the kids now. Yes. And that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that's that it? and nicely done. Yeah. That's a condensed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at telling the story over the past six years. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you for being so open about such a tough topic. It's not easy. I'm happy. You know, this is a hard topic. I know first time I'm probably ever going to share this out loud. So this, I'm really? excited. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Tell us. Tell us your story, that story. Okay. Okay. So I had a friend that was, I mean, like we just became best friends so easily. We clicked. We were both stay at home moms. Um, we both were in the same church together. That's how we met was in church. And she had two beautiful daughters. I had two daughters as well. So it just, it was just great friendship, right? Um, We lived in Idaho, small town, Idaho, really. And my friend, so I'm not going to use her name if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just, so this is my story, my part of the story that I'm going to tell, but like, this isn't just my story. And that's the thing with addiction is it's never just one person's story. Yes. yes. It, It affects so many people and especially where she has kids and you know, they're getting older. They're on social media too. They, they may hear that. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm going to tell my side of the story and it will portray that rather than everyone's got their own side of it. I don't know. I don't want to not offend. I don't think it's offending anyone. I just think that it's important to keep some things uh, private if possible. Yeah. And I think it's respect too. You're respecting them. It's also their story that they have to decide if they want to share their part. Of absolutely. It. Yes. Right. Yes. Absolutely. There's so many, I mean, we're all intertwined and a lot of people back home know me and who my friend is, but it doesn't necessarily mean everyone in the whole world needs to know. If that yes. Makes sense. 
Yes, totally. So yeah, so here we are. We're just these two stay-at-home moms um, who we just did everything together. And I got to call her something. Like, let's just call her Jane, okay? Okay. Her name's going to be Jane throughout this. We're going to say Jane always wanted another baby. Like, she just, she's such a good mom. Oh my gosh, the best mom. I was always so envious of how good she was with her girls. And, you know, just one of those moms that, like, can do it all. And you're like, huh? What? (laughs) lucky if I like wash my kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She could do it all. So she always wanted a third baby. Well, she had some health issues and doctors really didn't recommend her having a third baby, but she was just like, you know what? No, I'm going to do this. And she, she did. She got pregnant with her third and everyone was so excited. Uh, She was pretty sick through the pregnancy, very sick actually. And she also had an injury. She was playing, I want to say like flag football or something. It's been a while. This was nine years ago because the baby was two. So yeah, nine years ago, she's pregnant. She was playing flag football and she separated her pelvis and a super painful injury when you're pregnant, right? Ooh, yeah. Well, well, you know, when you're pregnant and you get hurt, a lot of people think, oh, you can't take anything for that, but you can, you know, doctors will prescribe pain medicine and that is exactly what happened in Jane's case. She was prescribed pain pills to help her get through. And it's interesting because I read somewhere that it only takes three days to get addicted to pain pills. Three days. That's wow. pretty crazy when you think about how long you sometimes take pain pills for. Yeah, definitely. And she did. She took them for longer than three days and she did get addicted to those pain pills. And what's interesting about an addiction like this, opioid addictions, to be more specific, is that it's gradual. It's not something that comes on all of a sudden, boom, three days you're addicted. It's something that you might notice sooner if you're the one doing the medication. If you're taking the medication, you'll maybe notice, I can't live without this. But the people around you don't notice it as quick. And that's exactly what happened. She ended up actually, you know, going through the rest of the pregnancy taking these, this medication, none of us really noticing any side effects at the time. And then she had the baby, she had the baby early and just a lot of complications with that, with her health and everything, of course. So it was a rough delivery. The baby was in the NICU and a lot of things going on that almost were like a distraction from the things that were happening to Jane and to her body. And so I will say myself, I did not notice at the time that it was going down a really steep slope for addiction to these pain pills. And as her daughter started, got out of the NICU, she's, she's being the mom now she's doing all of that. Certain things were off. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if you've ever been around anyone that's taken a lot of pain pills or just any pain pill in general. Like what do you notice right first when someone takes pain pills? They're, they're kind of droggy, right? Sure kind of out of it. Yeah. You know, sometimes they just, they sleep a lot. So those kinds of things were starting to be more prevalent and her husband was starting to notice close family was starting to notice. And of course I was starting to notice as her close friend and conversations were had at that time, but I don't know if it was just that you think, well, it can't be that bad, right? You don't think it's that bad Yeah, that 
they need intervention or that they need to go to a professional for help, right? It's like you say something like, oh, maybe you shouldn't take those so much. Yeah. Simple things. And when I look back, I think, you know, I wish I would have pressed that a little bit harder going to get help sooner. So here she is taking pain pills. A lot of times we didn't even know how she was getting these pain pills, but what's also been really eye-opening to me through this whole thing is that it's very easy for someone to get pain pills. Very, very easy. Yes. Scary. How easy. Scary, easy. You can go to so many different doctors, you know, just tell them your symptoms. And there's no national registry that says this person was this doctor last week and already got pain pills. No. And people get really good at lying and get really on the flip side of that. I also think she was in a lot of pain. I think she was really in a lot of pain. So as she was going through this, right, this, like I said, this isn't a gradual thing. Let's say a year goes by. We're a year into it. She's got a one-year-old. She's got two other kids. It's real bad at this point where she is starting to, you have a conversation with her and it doesn't make sense. Oh man. Starting to slur words. Gosh, you know, and you think, oh my gosh, like this is bad. This is bad. What do we do? So, and she started to acknowledge it a little bit too. And I also think that's part of an addiction as well is that they, they tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And she started to go to like a pain management place, try to get, get it under control. Like let's try some other pain management solutions. And so she tried that and she tried that and then she'd go back to the pain pills. What was easy, you know, things that were easy. And the other day in preparation for this, a time when she called me and said, Hey, something happened, something, she said something had happened to her pain pills and she wasn't able to get any more. Is there any way she could borrow some if I had some or if I could get some for her? This is so terrible. But at the time when you're in it, when you're in deep with someone, your, your best friend or your family member, whoever it is, you want to see the best in them, right? You're not instantly thinking the worst. Yeah, so yeah. I remember my husband at the time went to the doctor and got pain pills for his back and we gave them to her. Mm, yeah, I know that sounds crazy. I no, know I get it. it. I get crazy. it. Yeah, I get it. Uh, it's just like you just want to so help, right? Yes, I knew yes, she yes. was in pain. Yes, yes. And that's so, your instinct is to help in whatever way. Sure, right. And if you don't know, and I didn't. This this was such a taboo subject. Yeah, especially in years that ago. community. Oh yeah, in this yeah, bubble. I, in yeah. Idaho. Oh yeah. This very religious bubble that we lived in. Yeah. Wasn't a thing. You no. didn't talk about it. nobody no. was yeah. that's not a thing. That's like the people that are living on the streets, not the stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Surely no, she's not mad. Yeah. That was totally my mindset at the time. And I want to say it was maybe six months after that it started to get even worse. And that's when like, she wasn't able to really have coherent conversations. She wasn't able to just function. She wasn't able to function. She wasn't able to be a mom. She was sleeping all the time. She was, you know, her house was a wreck. And remember I said she was just this amazing mom that literally her whole life was just so put together. Yeah. It's just crumbling. Everything was 
it wasn't a priority. Things that were before things to have to do with our kids were not a priority. It was very obvious to all of us at that point. Like this is bad. Um, I remember her bishop getting involved is trying to stage of intervention, you know, an intervention. I don't know for us, it wasn't like you sat in a room in a circle and the person walks in and, <laughs> you know, they're like bumped. Parted. That, that's yeah. not how it went down. Okay. Yeah. No. Um, I think it was more of just all of us collectively telling her, we're not going to enable you anymore and you need to get help and that this is affecting your life, your children's lives, etc. What was in your head as you were intervening, so to speak? Was this really hard for you? Absolutely. I think it was just, I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I actually felt really bad. Yeah. You know, I thought yeah. like, oh, is this the right thing? This seems extreme. Yeah. That's what I remember thinking. This seems extreme. And I knew that there was a problem, but when you know a person before they're addicted to anything, you don't see them as an addict. Yeah. You see them as your friend or your mom or your dad or whoever it is. You're you see them as you know knew them much longer than when they were an addict. Yeah. And it seems like addiction is such an other problem that happens to others that happens to people in the big cities that happens to people who are homeless, who have people shooting up on the street. Uh Yeah, exactly. You don't think of the stay at home mom that's, you know, sitting next to you at church. That's, That's not who you're, you're thinking of, but the thing is, that is who they are. That is what is happening. And even increasingly stay at home moms. Yeah. Yes, especially stay-at-home moms, especially with opioid use. Yes. Especially. So it's just so easy to get. We talked about it. It's so easy to go and get. Yeah. Terrifying. But, you know, absolutely. It is terrifying. And I just remember thinking this, it was kind of an out-of-body moment. Like, this is too much. And even she was on the defensive, of course, as most would be, I think. And she was, no, it's not that bad. I remember her saying that. No, it's not that bad. I got it handled. It's yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are making this a way bigger deal than it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I laugh, but it's like, just, I wish I would have known more. I wish I would have educated myself to know the symptoms, to know the signs and to know what to say. Yeah. Because I'm sure I was just not saying the right things. I'm sure we all were not saying the right things, doing the right things, leading her to the right places. She did end up going to a facility. Mm. And as with some addicts, they leave early. And she did. I don't remember if it was, you know, a couple of weeks or, you know, a month. I don't remember how long, but she wasn't there long. And she came back and she was different. It was good. It was good for a little bit. And then actually I ended up moving to North Dakota about this time. This was right around there. And I remember feeling so guilty for leaving. And I just hoped that it wouldn't affect our friendship and affect, you know, her confiding in me about how she was feeling or how she really was doing. But uh, we stayed in touch and we were close always. So that was good. That was, didn't end up being an issue, but it was then really easy for me to tell when she was using again. Oh yeah. You so know, you what can just, signs started to come up the same signs again? Honestly, the biggest one is that incoherent speaking mm. where you're having conversations and her responses aren't what they should be, or she's mumbling. Mm. Her sentences aren't making sense. 
And it's so interesting. I was thinking about this too. I have other friends that met her during this time. Like we all kind of start, I started to gather a few more friends and they had met her during this Jane addict time. They didn't know Jane before this. And they would always be like, why are you friends with her? She's just like, this is not good. This is not healthy. And I remember just thinking, you don't know, you didn't know, you don't know her before. You don't know the kind of person that she really is. This isn't her. This is not her. That's what's so frustrating. These, when people are addicts, that's not them. It's not them. It's somebody different. Yes. It's terrible. It's almost just like they're possessed as crazy as that sounds. No, really though. Really. And that's what would be so hard though, is it's like, you've lost your friend. Hopefully they come back through rehabilitation and sobriety, but sometimes they don't. And you have to mourn that loss because that person is gone. It's not them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that they die by any means. They just literally are gone. Yes. And like you said, I think that that's a good way to put it though. It's like, it's like they're possessed in a way really though. And so that person is still there below all of that, but it's, it's a different person that's taken over when they like are trying to get their next fix and they're looking for money or for their next drug hit. That person can be violent and destructive and mean. And that's not the person that, you know, that's not your loved one. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, It's interesting that you say that it started to get worse and worse. Like she was going from, you know, you start off, like if you're familiar with any pain medicine, you know, you've got Tylenol, Advil, ibuprofen, right? You've got Tylenol with codeine starts to get a little bit more intense. Then you've got hydrocodone, which is, you know, typical pain reliever that you get when you, let's say you get a tooth pulled or whatever, you know, something minor. It's it's still pretty strong, but then you move on to Oxy. Oxycontin is extremely addictive and that's where she got. And then it got so bad where Oxy wasn't cutting it anymore, that she somehow was able to get morphine pills. Oh my gosh. Morphine pills. Like this is crazy. Morphine. Wow. I didn't even know you could get prescribed morphine pills, but you can. Yeah. Nor did I. I did not know this either. Wow. Yeah. And so to make it even worse, she had a terrible heart condition. I told you she had some health issues. She had this heart condition. Oh no. And it just mixed with all of this medication is not good for your body, right? Clearly. No, just for a healthy person too, whose heart is doing well. Yeah. That's yeah. Tough exactly. on your body. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, it's just a back and forth, a back and forth of, you know, do we just cut her off of, you know, do I cut her out of my life? Am I enabling? Am I, I, it's hard to be around someone when they're an addict. It's very, very draining. Yeah. And it got to that point with me where I was just drained emotionally from the relationship. And I feel a lot of guilt for this, but towards the end, I really pulled away and just couldn't deal with it. I didn't know how, and I didn't know what to do. And I was angry at that point. And just, you know, you start to think like, why can't they fix this? Why can't they get over this? Yeah. And I did. I pulled away a a lot. That'd be so hard. And like you said, so draining and exhausting and depleting. It is. It's like I said, addiction does not just affect the person it affects everyone around and I know her I know her husband felt the same way he was just emotionally drained trying Mm. to help his wife her family was drained and they didn't know what to do and sometimes when you get to that point you you do tend to step away sure yeah yeah so I guess fast forward maybe another six months I didn't live there 
I lived in North Dakota. And at the beginning, if you remember, I was telling you about myself, I was divorced and I got divorced while I lived in North Dakota. So I moved back home to Idaho. I had found out maybe three days before I went to visit Jane that I was getting a divorce. And you could tell she was still on pain medication, but we had a conversation uh, with her, her husband. We had some other friends that were there as well. And she invited me to live in her house. She said, you can live in, you know, you and the girls can come live with us in your basement. It was a really nice day. I don't know how else to explain it. Yes. She was on pain pills. You could tell, and you could tell because her makeup was off. She couldn't, she couldn't write a straight, like a, do a straight uh, eyeliner, mm. things like that. Things that you notice where she kind of drift off and get very sleepy while we're talking. And me and my other friend that were there, we both kind of looked at each other. We knew I should have said something. I should have, this day will haunt me forever. I should have said something. I should have done something. I should have taken her to the hospital. I don't know. I don't know what would have changed the outcome of this day, but we are sitting there talking. She's, you know, being just an awesome through this whole thing. She's just this great best friend encouraging me, you know, I'm going through this terrible divorce, made it all about me, nothing about her. That is one of my downfalls too, is that I was going through a rough time and I was so focused on my own well-being that I wasn't paying enough attention to her and what she was going through. Well, you were going through so a that lot. Day Let me just interject. Like sitting there you talking. were going through a lot. Yeah. You were going through so I was. much. It was so yes. Rough. It was a really hard time. Definitely. Most definitely. Yes. Yeah. You know, and there's a million excuses. There's a million excuses that we can all give when we have friends that are going through addiction and we can't necessarily be the one to help them. There's a lot. And some of our very valid excuses. Yes. So you just hope that they have a team around them and not just one person that it all yeah. falls on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, we're, we're talking and we were there the whole day. It was a beautiful day. And I felt, I'm religious. I do believe in God. And I just felt like it was so such a sweet day. I remember we all laughed and then we cried. And we, I remember even she called them happy tears. Don't, they're going to be happy tears. And I'll never forget that happy tears. And she was sitting in her recliner in her living room. She fell asleep while we were all there because we all started, you know, kind of just lingering off, watching TV, just kind of hanging out. It wasn't a big to do. She fell asleep. And I remember telling her husband that I had to go and I would call tomorrow and just to tell her that I love her. And that was it. And I walked out the door and the next day, the next morning, as I was getting ready for church, I got a phone call that she had died in the middle of the night Gosh! and oh, I get kind of emotional thinking about it. It was such a terrible, terrible day because you just don't think that someone can, you know, yeah, okay. They're addicted to pain pills. They're not going to die from it. Yeah. And she did, she had taken too much and she fell asleep and never woke up. And it's so crazy to think about just this beautiful stay-at-home mom and how in a few years it can just all change. It can all change and her kids' lives were forever changed. Her husband's lives forever changed and her family's and friends all around her just always changed. So yeah. So I tragic. Mean, what a loss. What a deep, deep loss in so many ways for you, for her family, for everybody. And just to lose someone yeah. to such a nasty substance like that. It's heartbreaking. 
it is heartbreaking and it's just not talked about enough. It's not, it's no, you know, it's interesting though, because I think it was last year or maybe a couple years ago. I don't know who put it out. I don't know like what organization or if it's just the government or whoever, but they put out these opioid commercials. I think you can watch them on YouTube. I definitely recommend it. If you look up opioid commercials, I'm pretty sure it'll pull up, but they have about five or six different ones. And I love it because they take everyday people and they show how quickly someone can be addicted. You know, you get, you slam your hand by a hammer and all of a sudden you're on pain pills and sure enough, you're addicted. And then you're slamming your hand on purpose to go get more pain pills. Wow. You know, it's just, that's the cycle. Yeah. It's so hard to get out of. And if we don't do something to change that cycle, it's just going to keep happening and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's progressively gotten yeah. worse. Yeah. And it's scary how it can happen to anyone, even nurses who know better than this. I know three different stories of people who either died from it or have become a shell of themselves and they were nurses and they knew how addictive these can be. And they know the dangers and the risks of it. And not to say that you should never use pain pills. That's not the takeaway from this, but yeah, it comes with very serious risks and it's scary. And anybody is susceptible to this. Absolutely. I think that there needs to be more accountability in the medical field. Yes. When it comes to issuing pain pills, when it comes to monitoring those who are on those pain pills, I just think that it's very easy to write a prescription and forget Mm. about it. Yes. And you never know where that person goes next and goes next. And, you know, like you said, if you have easy access to as like a nurse and you know how you know how to get around those things, yeah, like going to different doctors or, you know, if you have easy access to it, it's just, it's crazy how readily and easy and accessible it is. And then, then you've got like this black market of people that sell pain pills, you know, and it's like, people don't get rid of their pain pills, right? Let's say you go through your pain and you, instead of dumping your pain pills, you hang on to them. I know I do. I got like prescriptions from, I don't know, 2005, probably still in my medicine cabinet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it starts so ever so slightly. It's not like, Oh, someone just is dealing drugs necessarily just ever so slightly like, Oh, Hey, ah, my back really hurts. Oh, I've got a couple, you know, oxys. Do you want to, do you want some, you can take them home. You just don't, you don't know. You don't know what that person necessarily is going through. And you just administered medicine to someone. Yeah, Uh, It's just mind blowing. There's so many different avenues that opioids go through. And that's one of the scariest. Yeah. That's one of the scariest parts about it is how insidious it is and subtle and gradual. And you might not even be going through anything. And then all of a sudden you're hooked and you don't even realize that you're hooked until you're hooked and you're needing that fix. That's exactly what happened to her. That's exactly what happened to her. And I have never spoken about this out loud. It's just so it's hard. It's hard. So I feel like I'm all over the place with this because my, it brings back so many emotions and guilt and frustrations and just anger in general. Yes, I was so angry. I remember being very angry at her for a long time. How could you do this? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can imagine. And by the way, no, you, I've, 
been thinking how cohesive you sound because I would be all over the place. But yeah, thank you for talking about this because it is so important to be talked about so people don't feel alone, so people can have an idea of what to do, what signs to recognize, what things to say, how to approach it what courses to take. And yeah, like it's so important to remove the stigma. You know, on that, yeah. Yes. On that note, I found an amazing organization called Shatterproof. Mm. It talks about all these symptoms and places that people can go for help. So, and I can include that link in the show notes. Shatterproof is an organization that is strictly all about breaking the ceiling of what opioid addiction is and who it affects. And so I love it because you can go online. It's free to join. You can become a shatterproof member for free and you can be involved in, you know, five K's and you can have your own team, for instance, to bring awareness to whoever it is in your life that was affected by opioid addiction. And then they also have different links and resources to recognize what opioid addiction looks like how to get help, what to say. And there's different testimonials and stories. I love this. I'm so, looking it up online. So yes, there are links to get started, to find the right type of treatment and locate a treatment facility. You can take yes. action and it provides a link to contact your reps now. So it facilitates that makes it so easy. Get informed. So tools and resources and the stigma advocate for change, join the community. So you can unite with families across the nation to support each other, share stories and shatter stigma. And then you can get their emails. That's fantastic. Oh, and you can also donate. Yes. You know, I mean, I just think that I wish I would have had this nine years ago so bad. But, but, you know, I'm just grateful that there are resources like this now available. And I definitely encourage anyone, even if you don't know someone that is affected by opioid use, you should go check this out, read what the symptoms are, because then when it does happen, and I hate to say when, but when you do meet someone or have a friend that is, or family or whoever, you can recognize the symptoms and maybe get ahead of it. I love that so much. Take initiative, preventative, because like you said, it's a matter of when it's such a widespread problem and it's affecting all of us directly and indirectly. So it's a matter of when absolutely yet it will. Yes. And this can make yeah. all the difference. If you know what signs to recognize and you know what to do or have a better yes. idea of what to do. That's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it. I hate that it's taking over so many people's lives, but there is a way out. That's what I think is the most important thing to take away from this. That if it's happening to you. If it's happening to your friends, your family, it's not the end. There is hope and that there can be, there's never a cure for addiction, but you can always recover. Yes. You can always and recover. What a beautiful message of hope. Yes. There is hope. Always. That always is invaluable. Hope. That is invaluable when you're down in it, just to know that there's hope that can make all yes, the difference. For sure. Carry for sure. Through. Well, thank you. I cannot thank you enough because I can imagine because I was getting emotional too, just hearing about it. And I can imagine just how gutting that would be to experience this and to lose such a person who's so dear to you and has been such a good friend and a mother to her kids. And oh, it's just heartbreaking. So thank you for sharing. You know, absolutely. And I just want to end and let this is not who Jane was. If you know me or you know the story, I just hope that whoever it is in your life or whoever's addicted, like this is not who these people are. And they are amazingly good people who just need love support and 
not to be shunned, if that yes. makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I just, I miss, I miss her. I miss who she was, but I know that that what took her is not who she was. Like she didn't take her own life. It wasn't like that at all. And my, I don't ever view it as her taking her own life. I think that something else took her and I hate yes. that. And I just want to fix that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can imagine. And I think it's also important. Thank you for sharing your own reactions and emotions and for being so open about that. And I think that's crucial too, to normalize and for people to realize there are going to be so many emotions that come up with this, especially if you're a loved one, watching your friend, your partner, your kid go through this anger, frustration, all of the feels guilt, just all of it. Sadness. There all sadness. Of it. It's going to come up. And so have compassion with yourself and with others and with the person who's going through the addiction and just know, just write it through and meet it with love. Like you said, absolutely. Couldn't oh, have said it better. Thank you, Jesse. You were just, Oh, one of my favorite people. Thank you. And <laughs> I, this, I feel the same. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Thank I, you. as soon as I heard you were doing this addiction series, I was like, this is what we need. We oh. need more people like you in this world, Winnie. Right back at you, sister. Thank you. And people can find you on Instagram at the mom hatter, right? Yes. So at yes, the mom hatter. Yes. And I will put that in the show notes too. And thank you again. I love you. And love I'd say you. stay warm in Texas now, but that has passed. So stay. Cool. Yeah. We're going to be warm. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>